Well, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but my first two years in high school, I weighed 102 pounds. Looking at me now, that's hard to believe, I know. Um, I had some guys in high school that went to church with me, and they joined the weightlifting team in high school. And they came to me one day and said, Tim, we need you to be on the weightlifting team. To which I said, 102 pounds of me? And they said, yes, because here's why. Our coaches told us that the last or the lowest weight class in weightlifting is 114 and under. And there's nobody in the school that wants to join the team in that, that weighs that little to be on our team. And here's what we found out. A lot of the other schools that we have meets against, they don't have anybody that small either. So if we have somebody on our team in the 114 and underweight class, we will get points by forfeit. (laughs) Please come join the weightlifting team. So I became a weightlifter. The funny thing about the weightlifting team is this. Even though I got to a meet and it was going to be forfeited, I still had to lift my weight, and I had to do it properly before the judge. You get three lifts, and usually you did one that you knew that you were sure to be able to handle, and then you added more to that. But being this was a forfeit, my coach and my teammate said, Tim, don't put any weights on the bar. (laughs) My first lift at every meet was just the bar... I had to do it properly, and when I did, the judge would nod, I'd put the weights down and go sit in the corner and eat a Snickers. (laughs) My teammates would go crazy. They were going nuts. Hey, you got us points and all of that. We had t-shirts made up. It said, weightlifting team. I got a small. (laughs) It hung on me like it was an extra large. I wore that shirt everywhere. That became my identity in ninth and 10th grade. I, you, if you were to ask me, who are you? I'd point to my shirt. I am a weightlifter. Is that not obvious? <laughs> Do you remember those awkward days in school when you're trying to figure out who we were and where we fit into all of that? those middle school, high school days, and then the groups that we had, we tried to figure out what group we were a part of. When I was growing up, we had the jocks, the nerds, and the freaks, right? And you wanted to be a part of one of those groups more than likely. You may have grown up with the preppies or the gothics or the geeks, maybe the stoners, right? We were all just trying to figure out our identity. Who are we? We dress like certain people. We walk like certain people. We got our hair cut like certain people. We wore t-shirts that said who we were on them. We were looking for the answer to one of life's most foundational questions, and that is, who am I? Who am I really? Deep down inside, who am I? We wanted to know the answer to that question. We were searching everywhere. We've all struggled with this in our lives, especially when we were younger, but some of us even struggle from day to day or from time to time. Sometimes not recognizing who we are leads to confusion in our lives. It'll lead to an insecurity if we don't know who we are, 
And that causes us to start looking around for our identity. We look all around us. We look in the mirror and we realize, hey, you're not tall enough or you're not good looking enough or your teeth aren't white enough or your hair is not there anymore. (laughs) Or we look around at the things around us, maybe not in front of us, but around us, that our car is not cool enough. My first car was a a Datsun B210. It was not cool, okay? Your house isn't big enough. We look around and realize that our clothes aren't, my job isn't, our friends don't. And we look around for our identity. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into the trap of trying to find our identity, who we are in what the world believes is most important, or what the world believes is your identity, and that's our stuff, things. You know, the world says you are what you have. And here's what I've noticed, that what the world wants you to do is to put all of your identity into something other than God. Your identity in things, the things that point to who you are, your identification. And according to the world, if you have a nice car, you're important and you have a good identity. And if you have a great marriage and everything's working out, then your identity is good. Cars, clothes, vacations, they get to go there. But the problem is when we try to find our identity in using things, we usually find out because we know that things don't satisfy. Things don't fit for us. We know that. And you know that if you're one of those guys that waits at the Apple store for the new iPhone to come out and you've camped out for a number of days because it's coming out and you can't wait. And then they place that new one in your hand. Instantly, you realize they've already begun to replace that phone with the next model. Those things don't last. Our stuff doesn't satisfy. But if we don't know who we are, It only leads to confusion in our life, and it leads us to some destructive behaviors and to do things that we shouldn't do. It also leaves a void in our heart and in our life because we try to pour those things in and try to acquire those things or look a certain way so that we fit into what the world says is most important, only to realize that they leak. And this just adds to even more identity crisis, and identity issues. And it all starts with not knowing who we are and answering the question, who are we? So I want to look at a guy today in the Bible. His name was Moses. You've probably heard of him. Um, More than likely, most of you have from your earlier days. But I believe that Moses struggled with his identity in his early years. And I want to look and show you how Moses in the beginning of his life, tried to look around at the things around him to find his identity and how that didn't work. We find most of his story, his beginning story, in the book of Exodus, the first three chapters. But today I want to start in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which is the faith chapter. It talks about the great heroes of the faith. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, here's what the Bible says. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and that they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, I have to bring you up to speed on this if you don't remember this from Sunday school days. 
But at that time, the Israelite nation, God's nation, the Hebrews, they lived in an area called Goshen, which was just east of Egypt. And Egypt ruled the world at that time. And the Pharaoh that was there, the new Pharaoh in town, was feeling threatened by this neighboring population of Hebrews. And they were getting to be too big. And he decided and thought, hey, if our enemies ever decide to use them to come against us, they're surely going to overwhelm us. We've got to do something about these Hebrews. So what he did was he made slaves of them. They captured them, they conquered them, and they made slaves of them. And they wanted to control the population so that they didn't continue to grow. They did, the group didn't get bigger. And so one of the plans was that the Pharaoh decided every boy born during this period of time, newborn boy, would be drowned in the Nile River. The girls could live, but the boys would be drowned. Well, this is the time period where Moses was born. And the time came that his, he was born, his parents raised him, they were able to keep him quiet and hidden for about three months, and evidently the time came when they realized that they were no longer able to do that. I believe that his mother was trying to save him by putting him at a place where less ears could hear his crying. She built a basket. She put a covering over it. She put Moses in the basket, took it down to the river, and hid him amongst the reeds, probably so that nobody could hear the crying of this baby and end his fate, drowning him in the Nile. And sure as the world, her, she sent her older daughter Miriam, Moses's older sister, to come and to watch over the baby. And it happened to be on that particular day that she put Moses in the basket, that Pharaoh's daughter comes to the river to bathe. She hears the baby crying, asks her servants to get this baby, realizes that this baby is no ordinary baby, and begins to understand, hey, this is a special gift for me. I am going to take this baby in and adopt this baby. And Miriam steps forward and says, how about if I find a Hebrew to nurse this baby? And the deal is made that they will find a nurse and that the Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, will then pay for this nurse. Miriam, of course, runs to her mother, gets her mother to be the person who actually gets to raise and, uh, to the point where he needs to be weaned, Moses. He was about three or four, probably, when he was weaned and then sent off to the palace to become the son of the princess of the Pharaoh. And in the palace, he gets the best of everything. He gets the best food. He gets the best clothes. He gets the best rooms. He gets the best chariots. He gets the best education and training that there could be. Moses has it all. But somewhere along the line, as he's growing up, it seems that Moses wants to know and ask the question, who am I? Who am I really? Look at verses 24 and 25 here. And by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Somewhere along the line, Moses realizes or is told, I am not an Egyptian, I am a Hebrew. It may have been obvious by his features, but he decides to push back on his Egyptian raising and goes to hang out with the Israelites. He wants to try to be a little bit more like them. He wants to figure out who he is. Who am I? Am I Egyptian? Am I Hebrew? 
am I neither? Who am I? I think Moses had a toe in both pools. He gets to be about 40 years old of living this way, and one day he sees an Egyptian beating a fellow Hebrew. He looks around and realizes that there's nobody looking, and out of anger, he kills the Egyptian. He buries him in the sand. The next day, he finds two Hebrews who are fighting against one another, and Moses says to them, why are you beating on each other? Aren't the Egyptians beating you up enough? And they say something to him that I think struck a chord deep down inside. They say to Moses, who are you? Who are you? Are you our ruler? In other words, you're not one of us. You may look like one of us, but you're still playing in the palace. You're not who we are. You may have Israelite blood, but you're not us. He was rejected by his own people. They say to him, who are you to be our ruler? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And Moses realizes that the gig is up that somebody did see, somebody does know, and he has to flee, and so he does. He leaves right away, crosses the desert to a land called Midian, and in Midian, he meets a girl. He marries her and works for her father-in-law. He's there for 40 years as a shepherd uh, to his father-in-law. It seems It seems that Moses is content to be and to live out the rest of his days, never having to answer the question, who am I? He's now 80. He's been a shepherd for 40 years. And I think at this point, Moses believed that his identity was in his outward things and in his past, the things that he didn't like or couldn't explain, how the world would identify him by looking around. Moses, your world would say that you're a nobody. You're not an Egyptian, you're not a Hebrew, you're not an Israelite, you're a fugitive, that's not good, you're just a lowly shepherd. Moses, you don't measure up because you don't know who you are. And then, at 80, the story of the burning bush. As he's shepherding, God comes and reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush. And it's where God reaches down and lets Moses know who his identity is in God that God has created him, and that God wants to use him, and who he really is is the leader that God wants to use. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, here's what the Bible says. God said, so then, Moses, I want you to go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I want you to go. Moses, you're not who you think you are. You're not who the world says you are. You're who I say you are. You are mine, and I give you your identity. And Moses struggles with God. Look at verse 11. 11 says this, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses voices his own concerns. Who am I? Who am I? I am nobody. I'm a fugitive. I'm a shepherd. God, you've got it wrong. Have you not looked at my past? Do you not know who I am I don't know who I am. And then in verse 14, a few verses later, God says to, Abraham, uh, to Moses, I am who I am. Moses, it's not who you are. God says, it's who I am. 
It's who I say you are. Moses, you're not your past. You're not, you shouldn't be looking around at your circumstances now. You should be looking at me. It's not who you are. Moses, it's whose you are, and you are mine. And Moses is full of excuses. You've heard those excuses before. Suppose the Israelites don't know who sent me. What am I going to say? I can't be your person, God. What if they don't believe me? The excuse of, yeah, but I'm not a good public speaker. Yeah, but I'm just a shepherd. Yeah, but I have those things in my past. God, I'm not your guy. Send somebody else. I have a past. You can't use me. And we do the same thing when we don't know what our identity is, and God comes to us and says, I have great things for you. I want to use you. I want to give you your identity. And we say, yeah, but suppose I fail. What if they find out? Yeah, but I'm a college dropout. Yeah, but I've been married twice. Yeah, but I can't. Yeah, but I'm not. And we look at God because we're, and to say, God, I am not who you think I am because we're looking around. Moses' identity was focused in the past on the things that up until that point he used to identify himself. And God comes along and he says, that's how the world sees you, but that's not who I created you to be. I am who I am. If you truly want to know the answer to the question, who am I? You too have to come to the place where you believe that your identity is in who God says that you are. We all have to do that. It might say, you might say, well, if God spoke to me directly in a burning bush, I might be able to understand that. I might be more apt to understand who he is. And I want you to know this morning that you have something even better than a burning bush. Because you and I stand on this side of the cross. Moses was on the other side of the cross. He lived and he did his deal, but then Jesus came, died on the cross for us, was buried and raised from the dead. And we have the cross now because when we put our trust in Jesus, we get God's spirit in us. And when we become followers of Christ, he gives us his spirit that is in us and with us everywhere we go. The Holy Spirit guides and directs us. It protects us and it encourages us. He is constantly in us reminding us who we are to the Father. We are a child of the King. And as followers of Christ, we are who He says that we are. And who is that? If you've been in church long enough, you've probably heard a lot of the Bible verses that talk about how God feels about you who God says that you really are. Do you know that the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, said the phrase that we are in Christ or we are in Him over 150 times in the New Testament? I think Paul wanted us to know, that, be reminded of, that we are in Christ, who we are. So today, if you're struggling with your identity and you're trying to figure out the answer to the question of who I am, maybe it's because life all of a sudden just dealt you a crappy hand. Maybe um, you've been trying to find your identity in keeping up with the Joneses and acquiring things. Let these few verses that I have for you this morning be a reminder to you, just a portion of what Scripture is filled with that answers the question who you are. And that is whose you are. You are a child of God. Look at these verses. 
I'm not going to read them all to you, but I love the first one, beloved, in Jeremiah 31. The Bible tells us, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Do you know who you are to God? He has loved you with an everlasting love. You are a child of God. In 1 John, the Bible says, I love this, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the sons of God. Uh, We're never alone. We are never alone. Deuteronomy 31 lets us know that God says, I'll never leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. I love 2 Corinthians that we're a sweet aroma to God. It says, for we are to God a pleasing aroma. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I are walking the dog at night and all of a sudden she goes, that smell right there. And we could smell a fireplace burning on a cool evening. She says, I love that smell. Kind of like me when I'm walking through a festival and I catch wind of the barbecue truck. <laughs> oh, there's nothing like it, right? Second Corinthians says that God says the same thing about you and me. Oh, you are a sweet, pleasing aroma in my sight. You're a masterpiece. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are his best work. These are the verses. These are the things that you and I can say, who are we in Christ? This is what Scripture says. This is who God says we are. And this is what God wants us to be reminded of. When you became a follower of Christ, you became a child of the King. You became who God says you are. You became his masterpiece. We are who he says we are. So don't look back at your past and the mistakes and the stuff that you tried to do to earn your approval or find your identity. Don't look around at culture because culture is going to say just gain more stuff and use that to feel better about your stuff only to find out that that leaks out at the end. We need to look up and see what God has to say about us. We've got to know whose we are and we are his. Your identity will never get better if you do not answer the question, who am I? And find that in God. It'll suffer. And here's how it'll suffer in three ways. You have fill-ins. Your identity crisis will keep you from growing. It'll keep you from growing in your relationships. Listen, if you don't believe that you can, you're right. You're absolutely right. You probably can. It'll keep you from growing. If you don't deal with this question, it'll keep your dreams from becoming a reality. I imagine that Moses thought from the very beginning of his life, when he started hanging out with the Israelites after being raised by the Egyptians, that his dream was, one day my people will not be slaves. And God shows up one day, and Moses doesn't feel adequate to do the job. So your dreams might not become a reality, or it'll ruin your friendships. If you don't come to terms with who you are, it'll ruin your friendships with God and with other people. You won't trust God, and you got to admit, you probably know some of the hardest people to get along with are those people who don't know who they are. So here's how we do that. How do we know? How do we know whose we are? Number one, surrender. Surrender to God's authority. You have to say, Lord, I trust you that you are in control of all things, that you have created me, that I am who you say I am. I surrender to the fact that I am your child and you give me your identity. The second thing is you believe all that he says about you. Every scripture uh, that you find in his word, everything that he speaks through his spirit into your heart, you are loved with an everlasting love. That's who you are. 
It's, who am I? No, the question really is, you have to come to grips with, whose am I? Am I God's child, and do I really believe that? Maybe you're here today, and you can't answer that question of who I am because you don't know who God, what God has done for you because you've never accepted this everlasting love that He provides for you. Maybe today would be the day for you to answer that question and realize that God wants, has given His Son for you to answer that and to place His love and to place His Spirit in you. Maybe today you've realized you've been looking around yourself. You've been looking back to find out what your identity is. You're settling in on, yeah, but I have this in my past. Or you're looking at going, hey, listen, I've been trying to keep up with, and that's not adding up. Maybe this morning it's time for you to look up from that and say, I remember, I realize again that I am a child of God. We have to remember not who we are. We need to remember whose we are. We are a child of the King. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. Yes, I'm five minutes early. I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and when I get done praying, Lisette's going to come and close out the service for us. But I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward. And maybe today, you need to figure out the answer to the question, who am I? Come pray with them. They'd love to pray with you about that. Have the courage to step forward and come forward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you created us, that we are who you say we are. Help us to get off the rat wheel, the treadmill of trying to do, find out who we are, putting our trust in you. Thank you for your everlasting love. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Who am I? When the world defines who has worth by what they do and not by their birth, who am I? If watching others in their strife makes me feel good about my life, who am I? If I can't sing to beat my rivals, show the world that I'm their idol, then who am I? If I don't have eight kids at once or treat my spouse like he's a dunce, then who am I? If my cake falls flat on your birthday and I don't cook like Rachel Ray, who am I? If I don't know what to wear, if I don't have that fashion flair, who am I? If I don't seek to find my place through my child and her made-up face, who am I? Let me remember, whose am I? Not what I do, because that's all a sham. I am a child of the King, whether or not I can sing. I find favor in God's eyes. I don't need a disguise, because he knew me before the world was made. Before I was born, he knew my name. And because of his amazing grace, it's okay if no one ever knows my face. I am so loved. Love can't be earned because salvation is free. So thank you, Lord, that it's all you and there's not a thing that I can do. Because you sent your son to die for me so I can live eternally. The world, they may trust each passing lie. But I'll trust whose, not who, am I. Amen.
Well, family, today has been an amazing morning. I hope you were as blessed as I was with the children. We've been the church in here. Let's go be the church out there.